Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. We're in Romans chapter 2, probably a chapter you're probably unfamiliar with. Uh, it's still we're in the bad portion, the bad news of the gospel. Remember, we saw all the Gentiles are breaking bad in their sin. The Jews thought they were breaking good in their sin. But Paul is saying, no, you Jews are just as bad as the Gentiles. Both Jews and Gentiles are equally culpable of their sin before God. So God is fully just to pour out his wrath upon Jews and Gentiles. Now, in chapter 2, Paul is using this technique of something called a a diatribe, where he's letting the Roman church overhear a conversation with an imaginary opponent. He's arguing with a Jew who is trying to justify himself in his good works. And I want you to think about it this way. It's okay if you don't use language like this, but the Jew is trying to defend and justify his good works. And, and I'm, I'm calling it this. The Jew is full beast mode on self-justification. He's gone full beast mode. And if you don't know the language of beast mode, let me give you a quick little definition of beast mode because it's very important for our conversation today. Beast mode refers to a state of performing something, especially difficult activities with extreme power, skill, or determination. So the Jew is saying, look, not only do I have extreme skills and performance in getting my way before God, but I can explain myself so that you understand that I'm accepted by the Lord. So this is full beast mode self-justification. That's what we're going to hear a lot today. And the rationale is going to be like this, okay? Privilege plus performance equals acceptance, Privilege plus performance equals acceptance. That's the argument the Jew is making and many of us make as well. So let's do this. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment and knowledge of the truth. All right, here we go. The Jew, he's boasting in his special privilege with God because he possesses the law and he can know God's will. So they viewed themselves as an advantage to the Gentiles because they had the Ten Commandments along with the rest of the law. And since they possessed the law, then they were in this superior position where they could instruct the Gentiles. Did you see that in verse 19? A guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Jews viewing themselves as possessing a law with a call to instruct the pagan nations in God's way. But the Jews assumed this, that their privilege 
and performance equal acceptance. They believe that their privilege plus performance equals acceptance. They were the privileged ones to have received the law and could perform the law and rely on the law to be accepted by God. My last church was like within walking distance of Northwestern University um, in Evanston, Illinois. It's a very prestigious institution where most of the students who apply do not get in. One year, 27,533 students applied to Northwestern and only 2,135 got in. Now, some of these students were accepted perhaps because of their heritage or privileged background. Perhaps grandma or grandpa went there and give a lot of money and did well there. And so their grandchild has this privilege passed down to them. But at the same time, the grandchild just can't get in based upon privilege alone. The grandchild must perform, have straight A's, do really good on the ACT, and they will be accepted. So you got this privilege plus performance equals acceptance. That's the way the Jew is thinking. Privilege of receiving the law plus performance of the law equals acceptance by God. So there's no way the Jew could be in the wrong because he justifies himself through privilege and performance. Now, the apostle Paul used to think the exact same way. Let me show this to you. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. I don't know if I have that on the screen. Okay, Philippians 3, 4 through 6. This is what Paul said. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. All right, let me show you this formula, okay? Let me break that passage down into a formula. It goes like this. Privilege, where he's circumcised on the eighth day, of Israel, Benjamin, Hebrew. Okay, so there's his privilege. You got that? That's Paul's privilege. Plus performance. He's a Pharisee, persecuting Christians, and he's blameless. And that is going to equal acceptance by God. Paul said, I got all this privilege. I got all this performance. God's going to accept me. Did you know that most religions of the world, if not all of them besides Christianity, functions upon privilege and performance? I'm watching a show right now about Mormons. And they're talking about specific things they have to do to be accepted by what they call Heavenly Father. You could go across the board and look at what Muslims have to do, what other religions have to do. Perform, perform, perform. And there are even some skewed forms of Christianity where they say, hey, you got to do the stuff if you want to get in good with God. Privilege plus performance equals acceptance. But you get this. Paul now knows that won't work. 
And the reason why it won't work is because there is a discrepancy. There is a discrepancy in between what your privilege is, what you know in the law, and your performance because you can't perform it perfectly. So what do you do about the discrepancy? Look at verse 21. You, therefore, he's pointing out the discrepancy. You, therefore, who teach another, do not teach yourself. You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking of the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. So get this. They have the law. They say you do the law, but they don't always do it. And different Jews break different commands. Specifically here, he picks three out of the Ten Commandments to expose this discrepancy. You preach against stealing. Do you steal? You preach against adultery. Do you commit adultery? And it says, do you preach against idol worship? Do you rob temples? Now, this is interesting. This is a reference to a crime of robbing the valuables out of a pagan temple. And it's very unlikely that a Jew would be robbing valuables out of a pagan temple. But this is probably a reference to the Jews profiting off this crime without directly committing it themselves. And when it's all said and done, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of the Jews. Because they're saying one thing, doing another, saying they're accepted by God. But what do you do about the discrepancy? What do you do about the discrepancy between what is preached and what is performed? And so I ask you, what do you do about the discrepancy about what you believe and what you actually do? And the answer is, for Christians, we fall back on the grace of Jesus. We find forgiveness in the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We see the word, we see the law, realize that we don't measure up, there is a discrepancy, and we find forgiveness in Jesus and the ability to change. But here is the major problem for most of us. The major problem for most of us is when we don't acknowledge the discrepancy and try to justify ourselves. Anybody do that? You don't acknowledge the discrepancy between what the word is saying and what you actually do. And so you try to explain yourself and justify yourself. And you're thinking, I'm not sure I do that. Well, let me help you out here. For those of you who are married, we talked about last week how married people can be some of the most self-righteous people. Well, keep in mind, not only are we with some of the most self-righteous people, but we try to justify our actions. For example, the wife says to the husband, I don't feel like you listen to me or take time to connect with me. Ever said that to your husband? Good. Raise your hand. Yeah, no, don't, don't raise your hand. So rather than the husband responding in a relational manner, the husband goes full beast mode in self-justification and says something like this. 
I'm busy working all the time. And then when I get home, I have to repair stuff around the house and and clean up and, and unwind. I'm doing all this stuff. And here you are talking about listening to you and, and trying to connect with you. I'm busy. Okay, guys, raise your hand if you've ever done that. Okay. Now the husband may say to a wife, this is like code. The husband may say to a wife, where has the romance gone in our marriage? (laughs) <laughs> well, the wife could go full beast mode on that and said, you want romance? Well, I'm too busy working my job, taking care of the kids, cooking and cleaning up after you, but you want romance. Now, you see the problem here? There is a discrepancy between your wedding vows and what you actually do. What you're supposed to do, by the way, all of us, we there's all of us that have... You know, we say such crazy stuff when we get married, right? A lot of it is good, solid, but, you know, like, I'm going to love you always. I'm always going to serve you. I'm never going to make a mistake around you. I'm just lying, lying, lying. But the reality is when you make these vows, you understand there's going to be this discrepancy. And so what you're supposed to do is find forgiveness and grace in Jesus and change, right? So when your spouse points something out, You don't try to go into full beast mode of self-justification. You say, I'm sorry, you're right. Will you forgive me? And that's the way we grow in our relationship with one another. I hope this is not news to you. You can acknowledge that you're not always right. And here's the problem. When we have a relationship like that with God, we just don't grow. We're always trying to justify ourselves, explain why we're not doing stuff. When the reality is we have to say, okay, there is a discrepancy between what the word says and what I do. I need to repent and find forgiveness and grace in Jesus. And for Christians, the biggest thing that we like to say is that, yeah, there is a discrepancy, but I'm not going to try to perform to get God to accept me but it's going to ask for forgiveness because I realize as a believer, and here's the big kicker, God's performance precedes our performance. God's performance precedes our performance. And I hope you stay with me and try to understand what these verses are saying. So let's look at verse 25. For indeed, circumcision, I hope I don't have to explain circumcision to you. You can just Google it later. Don't do that either, okay? For indeed, circumcision is a value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Okay, what's going on there? All right. So circumcision was a physical sign of the covenant that God made with his people. Someone has said it's like, it's like, a, it's like a wedding ring between God and his people, all right? And so Paul states that circumcision, notice it in verse 25, has value if you practice the law. However, if you break the law, their circumcision is pointless. It's like, it's like a wedding ring on an adulteress, meaningless. That is the state of the Jew relying upon their performance for acceptance because they fail to keep the law. There's a discrepancy. Paul says something very similar in Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. 
He says, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So what he's trying to do in that context is correct some false teaching opposed to the gospel of grace. And this is what he says. He says, if you accept circumcision, then you have to keep the whole law perfectly to gain salvation. You have to obey the Ten Commandments perfectly and you will be accepted. Now, why would he say that? Because the Messiah Jesus has shown up on the scene and the only way to be forgiven is through his sacrifice. And if the Jews want to live under the old covenant law, then they have to do it perfectly because the Old Testament sacrifices have passed away. And the only way they can be forgiven is through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Which means is that the law, the Old Testament law, was to reveal sin and lead them to the Messiah And here they are still trying to obey the law. They're still trying to obey the Old Testament law. They're trying to say privilege, performance, equals acceptance. And Paul is consistently combating that belief that performance equals acceptance. Last night I saw on social media someone asking a question. It was kind of a funny question. The question was, what must I do to be saved Wrong answers only. So that's the big question, right? What must I do to be saved? It's a a biblical question. But think about what are wrong answers. And the Jew would say, perform. Obey the law and you'll be saved. Be a good person and you'll be saved. I dare you go out of here today, ask somebody, hey, how do you know you're going to heaven? I'm a good person. And the answer to that question, the right answer is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Keep going, verse 26. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Now this is talking about a Gentile Christian. A Gentile could be uncircumcised. They were probably uncircumcised and still obey the Lord through faith in Jesus. So when the uncircumcised, obedient Gentile Christian obeys the heart of the law, then he is considered circumcised. Why? Because he is living in line with the word that demonstrates he has a relationship with God and he is bearing fruit of being a Christian even though he is uncircumcised. That's a little confusing, right? Well, look at verse 27. And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will not judge you who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. Oh, that's a lot going on there. Okay, so the Jew expect it to judge the Gentiles, but the reverse is actually going to happen. In fact, the uncircumcised Christian Gentile will put the circumcised Jew to shame at the judgment. Why? Because the Jew is not keeping the law. There is a discrepancy. And what Paul is getting at here is that physical circumcision and adherence to the law does not save from the wrath of God. Verse 28. 
For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. These are extremely offensive words to the Jew who put all his identity in his Jewishness and circumcision to getting good with God. And Paul is saying that physical circumcision and outward Jewishness are not the point. And he specifically says here, circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. What does that mean? Do you know there's passages in the Old Testament that talk about circumcision of the heart? And every single person who's a believer in Jesus has had their heart circumcised. Like, what does that mean? Well, part of it means that our old heart was taking out and our old heart was hard to the Lord. He gave us a, a new heart. It's soft. It's, it's, it's now malleable. And to say that our heart has been circumcised is, is that we're saying the power of sin is cut away. Sin no longer has dominion over us because our hearts have been circumcised. Now you and me can obey the word. We can obey the law of Christ because our hearts have been circumcised. But what came first? Our obedience or heart circumcision? And the answer is heart circumcision before we obey. Another way of say that is that God's performance precedes our performance. God's performance precedes our performance. Through the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, through faith in him, we are forgiven, given a new heart, and then out of that new heart, we obey, we perform, not perfectly. We acknowledge the discrepancy and find forgiveness in Jesus. But the work came first from God before our work. God's performance precedes our performance. And so here's the good news. You want to say it like this? Here's the freedom I want you to live in. I want you to live in this this week, okay? You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and the performance of Christ alone. Make sure you get that. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and the performance of Christ alone. That means you no longer have to feel like you have to do certain things to make God like you. He already loves you through faith in Jesus based upon the work of his son. And out of that, you can now obey. You do not obey to get acceptance. You already have acceptance and therefore you obey. I know that's totally opposite of what many of you have been trained in the churches you've grown up in, that you have to obey and then maybe God will accept you. And if he doesn't accept you when you die, there's other certain deals that can be worked out in some intermediate state and maybe you'll get in good with God. My brothers and sisters, that's not the gospel. That's not grace. The grace of the gospel is not about your performance, it's about the performance of Christ. And out of accepting him, you have your heart changed and then you perform not to get acceptance, it's because you already have it. I was talking to my uh, son this morning about colleges 
In about 10 months, he'll be applying to go to college. I can't believe that. That'd be the fourth child of mine going to college. And by the time all my kids go to college, I'll be like 90. But we think about college. I don't know if you know this. It can be so stressful for students to apply to colleges and wait and see if they're going to be accepted. And, and I read this story about two guys. I think they were like best friends. And they both applied to the college they, they wanted to go to. And one of them was accepted and the other one was deferred. Now, when you're deferred, you're kind of wait and see. Wait and see if they're going to let you in. So over the next four months, while these two students were waiting for the final decision for the one, their lives had a different approach. The guy who was deferred worked hard to keep up his GPA, got involved in a lot of extracurricular activities and the hope that it would increase his chance of being accepted by the college. And by the end of the semester, he was worn out and exhausted. But the guy who was already accepted, he didn't worry about his transcript, but he still got the best grades of his school career. And since he didn't have to play it safe, he branched out and wrote papers that he wanted to write rather than what he thought the school or the teachers wanted him to write. He tried new extracurricular activities. He started a band and he got into rock climbing. He even started a program to help underprivileged kids how to rock climb and still exist 10 years later. And since he didn't have to perform, he was free to go for it. Now, unfortunately, I don't know how the story ends. I don't know if that other guy ever got into college. And the point is ultimately this, is that once you're accepted, you're free. Can you imagine the weight off of you? You're free to serve the Lord because he accepts you. You don't have to wake up and get on the treadmill and figure out, God, I'm going to get all this stuff done for you today. And maybe at the end, you'll accept me. By the time I have my funeral, hopefully that's enough to get in. My brothers and sisters, you're accepted in the performance of Jesus. Do you believe that? And out of that acceptance, now you can obey. That changes everything. You're free. You're free. You don't have to do anything to be accepted. Trust in him and out of that acceptance, you can obey freely. And I'd love for it all this week is for you to think freedom, 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 freedom in Christ. To think I am free. I'm saved by grace alone, faith alone, and the performance of Christ alone. And so this week, rather than constantly detailing all your performance, look at the performance of Jesus and rest in your acceptance and your freedom. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Guided by God's Meanwhile, word. have a blessed day as you walk along the way 